Beth, welcome. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. <laughs> it's yeah. not, what do you normally do on a Sunday morning, you know? put Get a cup of coffee, go out to a cafe, yeah. sort of listen to the wine show. It's become the new thing for me. Beth, you know, we've known each other for probably as long as we've both been in the industry, I reckon. Yeah, um, I'd say so. I mean, I was... When I did that course that we did together, I was telling Simon before, how lucky were we? We did uh, WSCT Level 3 together at mm-hmm. Prince, but it was Meg Brodman and Kate McIntyre teaching I know. us. How incredible was that? Powerhouses. I know, it was ridiculous. And we'd sort of come in and I, what I recall was there was like a lot of people from the industry doing the course mm-hmm. and then one clarinet player and a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and I wish I was the doctor. Yeah. But um, there were some pretty other pretty amazing people doing that course. I recall Ainsley Lubbock Ainsley, was in the yeah. course with us. Yeah, and Kate, who started uh, Coda. Yes. Yeah, so it was like some pretty amazing people. Mm. My, my funny re- recall, recollections of that is like I, I did really well at the beginning of it and then I remember we were out at De Bordley doing a sparkling thing mm-hmm. and I was called upon to give my, you know... Summary? Or yeah, summary of what this wine was and what do you think it is and quality and all that stuff. And I thought it was a, a second, you know, a tank method, Charmat, terrible, blah, blah, blah. And Kate from Coda was sitting there. She's like, that's Paul Roger, darling. And I was like, how do you know? She's like, well, we drink a lot of this after, <laughs> after each shift. And wow. She was right and I was wrong. Um, so from, had you been, was that your sort of first foray into wine there or had you dabbled with it before? How did you get into it? Well, at that time I was working, I believe, at Spice Temple. Ah, yeah, cool. So working with David Lawler in the team there. And Spice Temple didn't have a sommelier that wasn't really needed. There was 100 wines on the list and it was pretty easy to navigate and also for the staff to sort of find their way, choose their greatest hits and then, you know, Mm -hmm. sell those onto the tables. Um, And I was working, doing all the seller work, so all the ordering, making sure that... Carting the boxes around. Basically, yeah, yeah chief <laughs> box mover, um, which was great. But I got to do that with David and sort of be privy to that side of things. Um, yep. And also on Saturdays would head over to Rockpool and do the tasting with those guys. Yep. But, you, you know, you don't even know how little you know when you're just excited to be there, like, and trying to navigate your way through. That was blind tasting. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of started more seriously with wine there. Did wear set three and then at the point where I could have potentially said, oh, you know, I'd like to go and be trained up over at Rockpool. Yep. I ended up working in distribution and sort of the more business side of wine, which is where I've stayed. And that that was in Bebo, right? So that was Kath. And yes. that in Bebo was like if listeners, if you go into a bottle shop and you see back in the day it was like your jam sheets and all your cool oh, yeah. all your cool kids' wines. That's <laughs> that was what in Bebo was. And no one had really done that and pulled all of those different stocks together. Oh, into, it was so into, good. Yeah, right. So who who were some of the other producers you got to work with back in the day there? So we had um from SA we had Naringa at the time. We also had Lucy Margot. Ah, Anton von yep. Klopper, the crazy um, man. Commune of Buttons, yeah. uh, then locally Luke Lambert for a short time, Punch for a short time. There was Jamsheed. Uh, I know Kath worked with Will Downey before I uh, I started. Um, oh, Ravensworth. Ravensworth, mm, Linnea. Big bad Brian Martin. Two-time Tasmania. Yeah. Dorman Loner and Express Wine Makers from over in WA. And, like, the list is just... Yeah. All the cool Excellent. kids. Yeah. All the cool kids. And it's pretty amazing. And some of the wines there were pretty natty and pretty weird. Mm-hmm. And some of them were more what I call straight up and down, but with a you know a left of centre kind of perspective, which would be something like Ravensworth and Brian yeah. Martin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's like I always sort of say this, like if you're going to make a weird, crazy pet nat or something, do a night vintage at Hardy's first or 
you know, Jacob's Creek and yeah. like learn how to do it, then learn how to undo it. And then you got the best of both worlds. Did you sometimes find some of those wines left you a bit cold or was it just as hit and miss as commercial wine could be? Oh, I think like back in that time, the natural wine, you know, hadn't really hit the scene as much. Uh, there were a couple of pet nats, but there weren't so many. Uh, and likewise with sort of the orange amber wine sort of thing. So I think, yeah, it wasn't quite the broad spectrum that you can get nowadays where there's mm. like any and every type of flavour, texture, colour, transparency sort of going so, on. I think it was like, it was the infant moment. Yeah. So for, for people who kind of have heard the term but, but don't really understand what we're talking about, just give the listeners kind of that um, basic um, explanation about what, what the winemakers are trying to do with this whole kind of emerging style, I guess. You want to take that, Beth? Yeah, happy to. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know... Dodged a bullet there. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, dust off my uh, little natural wine cap. Um, so, yeah, orange wine or um, skin contact wine is white grapes that are fermented on their skins in order to gain texture and flavour from the skins. So fermented like you would uh, make a red wine or a rosé. Um, and then depending on the winemaker, that sort of, that colour and that texture in the wine can be and that contact with the grapes can be a long a long period which leads to very savoury wines or it can be quite light and just add a little bit of a phenolic sort of... Um, mm. And a pink yeah. Pinot Gris sort of colour to it. And if we go back to what wine was at the beginning, that's what it was. It was chucking grapes in an amphora mm -hmm. and wild yeast, burying it and then pulling it out and whatever came out, came out. It wasn't mm. clear. So it's sort of not a new thing. It's like a revolution, not an evolution. That's my mm. personal opinion. Mm. Uh, what about pet nats, method ancestral? What's a pet nat? Well, you're asking the right person. In 2013, I uh, did the young gun of wine uh, baptism of fire. And uh, my friend Brody and I decided that we were going to make a rosé pet nat. And so this was in a basement of the Prince in St Kilda with no temperature control it, and like literally the bins are like next door, um, which I now know is a bad thing, like you don't put the wine near the bins. Um, and But basically, so you're making a sparkling wine and as the yeast eats the sugar, it creates CO2 um, and also alcohol and you take that ferment, one continuous ferment, and once it hits, let's call it 10, 12 grams of residual sugar, you take it to bottle and then the CO2, the bubbles get trapped in the bottle. So it's basically a pet nat is the most simple way to make a, um, sparkling, a wine. sparkling wine. Yep. And, and let's say, again, it's kind of what champagne was at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Before they, before, you know, matter. When the monks were making it all. Well, so, but, like so it's Verve Clicquot is famous because Barb Nicole Clicquot, she invented disgorgement. And riddling. So if people don't know what that is, it's basically with your champagne, you make the wines as a base wine. So you make still Pinot Noir, still Chardonnay. Mm. Then you have your secondary ferment in the bottle. But there's all the jazz left in it, all the junk, all the, the orange the juice bits at the bottom of the bottle. Yeah, yeah. the, the lees, uh, the dead yeast cells. Mm. And that's what Petnat keeps and it goes cloudy. But with champagne, you basically freeze the end of it, pop it out. That's disgorgement. Hey, presto, clarity, you know. Mm. So, again, it's like a new version of an old thing. But you can't go to a hipster bar or like a cool, like Wolf and Swill, somewhere cool like that without having a pet nut and a <laughs> slice of really good yeah. pizza, right? Yeah. So, I, you know, it's a great thing and it's a movement. So sort of moving on from that, you know, you worked with Vinamofo for a long time. What was that like? I did. I worked with Big Bad Mofo uh, for, <laughs> yeah, about Hey, I worked years. for Big, Big Good Dance, so don't <laughs> worry so about that. So good. Oh, look, just so wonderful to learn and keep being challenged. And, like, I look at it like wine is a pyramid, right? 
and you've got all the top, top stuff, and then at the bottom you've just basically got the bulk market, and Vinamofo is sort of sitting in a much broader band yeah. than I'd ever worked with. So mm. huge volumes, so yeah. huge potential as a wine buyer. That was my role there to really sink your teeth into the deal side of things, um, but also the imports, which I was doing Spain and Portugal, which yeah. was, yeah, really fantastic. But it's just good to see how the every person drinks and mm. how people engage with wine and want to explore wine. Mm. So, yeah. And Spain and Portugal for Vinamofo, was that accidental? Did you get that role or did you apply for it? How did you get into Spain? Well, I came on as a wine buyer and then um, it was, I guess, a logical sort of spot for me to move into. I speak Spanish. I've been there many times. And very lucky for me in 2018 when I started, they had put a promotion together with Intrepid Travel. And it was by... Like, sign up for both databases and go into the running for two seats on a northern Spanish food and wine tour with a Vino Mofo wine expert. And they had <laughs> no idea what they were going to do. They were like, you know, it's that classic startup thing. They hadn't bit... found this expert yet. No, they hadn't. Um, and then I walked in and was like, hey, I. Uh, hola. Hola. <laughs> I can absolutely do that. Um, and coming from that, you know, hospitality background, yep. you can handle the questions, you can handle the, like, people that just need a little bit of extra time, that sort of thing. So I ended up flying over there. Possibly the best moment in my life uh, was when I actually texted all my friends in Spain and said, you're never going to guess, I'm coming and I'm, it's being paid for and I'm going to be <laughs> working over there. I, like, absolutely mind-blowing. It was so, so fantastic. That, that is awesome. Did you turn left on the plane or right? As oh, I turned it? right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> come on, Vinamofo. You've got the money to do that. Oh, What's my God. On? Do you know what? Actually, this is so <laughs> great. And um, I remember there's a lot of wonderful people working at Vinamofo. Uh, and I remember when the uh, finance guy was a little bit concerned about my expenses because they were so incredibly low, like, every day. So did this tour, everything was like, you know, all the food was paid for and all that. Yeah. And then I met a friend in Galicia and we travelled through Rio Spicius into Asturias, then back down to Rioja and finally in Emporada, which is right on the border with, um, with France there. So we did 10 days of winery visits. Everyone's feeding you. There's, it's a really cheap, easy country. So <laughs> yeah. apart from, like, car hire and this and that, and they were a little bit concerned. They were like, hey, so we kind of noticed you spent like 250 euros like in three weeks. Like it was everything okay. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, like I'm totally fine. I'm just low budget and everyone likes to feed me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's Spain though. You're sitting in a, you know, Bar Soriano in La Grogna, the capital of La Rioja. Mm -hmm. And you're having a glass of Joven Tempranillo and mm -hmm. like one tapas that they make there. And it's like, Euros, yeah, and it's incredible. So, just we we heard you say some places there yeah. in Spain. What's Let, give, let's start with a paint the picture um, of you know. So we've heard of Spain, we've heard of mm -hmm. Spanish wine. Navigate that a little bit for us in a fairly you know. Eli five. Explain it like I'm five. Well, yeah, eighteen. Correct. Okay. Explain would you like, like the geographical take or the wine list take? Give us just the Beth Bicknell's easy guide to getting into Spanish wine. Okay, easy guide for an Australian. We're on yeah, an Aussie yeah, radio exactly. station here. For a Melbourne listener. Melbourne listener, um, I'd be starting with Tempranillo. So Spain mm -hmm. is a great... So it's not Tempranillo. No, any, any double L in Spanish is, uh, is, is a Y, unless you're in <laughs> South America, but we're in Spain, so we're going with the Y. So it's Tempranillo. Uh, Tempranillo, 
and it's also like paella yep. is, is the other one that yep. people sort of get caught up on though. But you can rest assured it's always double L uh, is a Y. Yep. But you're also, if you're in Catalonia, they're speaking Catalan and it's a slight variation on that. So Tempranillo is the superstar grape. We have Shiraz, it is the jewel in the crown and we have Barossa being the, the leading region for that. And in Spain, it is Rioja, which spans a couple of different provinces. And that is just south of San Sebastian, which is the, you know, the food culinary. The food capital of the world, possibly. Yep, culinary capital. Yeah. And um, up near the Guggenheim in Bilbao. Because a lot of people, you know, you go to Spain Incredible. and, you know, wine is a secondary thing. But mm. what you're really doing is going to the cathedral in Santiago. You're going to eat the cheesecake in um, San Sebastian, <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so Tempranillo, there in Rioja super rich traditions um, and then Tempranillo is a grape that you're going to find all over the country. Ribera del Duero, another spot, so getting closer to Portugal where the Douro turns into the Duero in, so that's the river, yep. um, and that is in the province of Castilla Leon and you're going to find another powerhouse of top, top quality Tempranillo there. So starting with Tempranillo for the reds and then an absolute passion of mine is Grenache, so Garnacha mm -hmm. as they call it. And Grenache is not from the Rhone Valley. It is from Aragon, which is in the north of Spain. That is the origin of that grape. So Grenache, mm. they're unbelievable old vines, mainly uh, bush vines or mm. in Copa, in Basso, like they call them. And just wonderful, wonderful examples. And then Grenache also, you're over in Catalonia. Catalonia, so we're Barcelona, much more sort of progressive area, they want to leave Spain. I don't want them to leave Spain. Mm. Like, I'm like, guys, t please don't go. Um, <laughs> Let's not even talk about the Basque then. We just uh, let that go. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a so it's, well, I guess the thing there is that the northern part of Spain, it's very much broken up into these little provinces and mm -hmm. different languages and different food and different mm. wine. But Tempranillo covers all of the top part of Spain pretty ubiquitously. Is that correct? It does, and yep. like, and also into the south and weather. Yep. Like with Tempranillo, you know, one thing that you're always looking for is freshness. Yep. So high altitude vineyards and picking at the right time. It is an early ripener, and at you know to get that freshness. Um, and that's where yes, you can totally grow it in the south of Spain, but being a warmer climate down there, you're probably not going to get an example that really, really mm. speaks. So of you need elevation, like a lot of mm -hmm. elevation, if you're down in the warmer part. Yep, I would yep. say so, yep. And, you know, Spain is, it's on La Meseta, it's on the table, it's all raised. So when they talk about, like, minimum sort of elevation, it's probably two, 300 metres. Yeah. Yeah. And their high altitude's getting to, like, eight, 800, yeah. yeah. So, so it's kind of like the upper Yarra is the lower Spain. Yeah. So also Tempranillo is used a lot in those regions, particularly in La Rioja, as a blend, right? Mm -hmm. So what are, the, what are the, some of the other grapes that they might blend with it? So it'd be Grenache, like I mentioned, yep. Graciano, which is a local grape. And Mazuelo, which is a synonym for Carignan. Carignan. Yep. So th th that brings me mm. into the next question, right? So there's a bit of a parallel between the south part of France and the north part of Spain. Yes, into, certainly. Yeah, so what's the, is that a cultural thing? It's a historical cultural thing. The grapes kind of do transgress uh, across borders, don't they? They certainly do. Well, look, looking at Catalonia, which shares the border and the Pyrenees with, uh, with France, of course, you've got the varieties that are just sort of planted mm. on that sort of Catalan area and, of course, the language that spans there. And when it comes to Rioja, you've got the huge influence of the French who brought barrels over. So basically, Phylloxera comes to Bordeaux. Yeah. They travel across the border. They are looking for fruit sources. And what they bring with them are bariques, which Rioja took to with great enthusiasm um, and established a system for ageing their wines yeah. for very extended periods.
Right. And so that's when we're, when we're looking at a wine from Rioja again and we see Hoven, what does that mean on the label? That, well, Hoven's not used quite as much as anymore. It used to, it's, yeah. it's Tinto, and tinto, it, yeah. it means not aged. Yep. Yeah. So right. no oak, just not light and fresh, easy going. Exactly. Bang it out with something really easy. Yep. You know, what's the next level up? I don't, I don't see the next level as much as I think I used to. Yeah, so Crianza is the next uh, level, and that is – I should have had, like, the, the triangle of the ageing here. But, no, no, uh, that's great. Um, anyway. You've got t- t- time in barrel and time in bottle. So, And those are, those are minimums, so – uh, I guess a lot of producers, you are going to see more of these Tintos or wines that don't have Crianza, Reserva and Gran Reserva because they are just looking to do what they want with that parcel yep. and not have... The, the, and and not so have they don't go for it. that um, categorisation, the, the legal kind of... Exactly, because they're just going, look, taste it in barrel. Like, yeah. Does yeah. It, how does it taste? And let's Gives get that out. Let's get that in bottle. Yeah. Way more flexibility. And obviously with... Just pu- more like us. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what... Yeah. That when the world looks to our winemakers, they go, wow, they can just do whatever they want. Yeah, oh, it's no rules. And you go and visit somewhere like, the, you know, Marquez de Riscal, and you've got the Frank Gehry mm-hmm. Hotel there. We should be Googling this, people. Frank Gehry, the architect, built a hotel right next to the vineyards there. Um, and you go into the barrel room, and, yeah, it's crazy how many old barrels there and the two years and the three and all that sort of stuff. That does give a certain kind of wine, but it's really old school, isn't it? Yeah, look, it is, but I think there are a lot of producers that are that size and are so established with so much oak, so much mm, land holding, yeah. and I think they can actually manage to do it really well because, yeah, they've just they've just got the scale to do it. And honestly, anyone who's looking to travel in the next year or so, going to one of these very large producers in Rioja, go and jump on the tour. I got to um, go around Marques de Cáceres, which is a you know a pretty supermarkety sort of um, producer. And to just see their setup was mm. absolutely fantastic. So, would you say that's similar to going to like the Wolf Blast kind of winery experience in in Barossa? I'd say, yeah, I'd like say a so. big deal, kind of. Yeah, oh, huge, huge deal, and like you know the the history, the mm. like just the barrel rooms. And They're incredible, like, aren't they? Twenty thousand barriques, wow. twenty thousand, and they've got. I'm not going to get into it, but they've got this machine, an automated machine, basically a forklift, just pops the barrel on and then they've got a machine that takes all the wine out and flips it, it's on a conveyor belt, washes the barrel. Absolutely fantastic. Wow. Now, we've talked mainly about the uh, red wines so far. Mm. What, what are the, some of the biggest white varieties that you're going to see in Spain? You've got, okay, so starting over in the west, you've got Albarino, which is from um, the Galicia region or it's p- particularly the, uh, the DO of Rio Spicius and it is, uh, yeah, a grape autonomous to that region, suited to the very damp climate uh, and the granitic sort, granitic sort of sandy soils, um, very influenced by the sea. You've got a, quite a saline sort of character in that um, and just so much acid and freshness uh, in that grape. I absolutely love Albarino. And what you'll find good producers are doing is actually aging on lees in order to build texture and balance all yep. that freshness. Yep. Moving over, let's brush over Verdejo. Verdejo, that is something that is very widely planted. You get great examples and you get a lot that just tastes like New World wine. Mm-hmm. And then over in Terralta in uh, Catalonia, you've got Grenache Blanc. And again, that is where the grape is from. Yep. And oh, it's... it's Damn rich. you, Frenchies. It is rich. <laughs> it's, it's high altitude, Terralta highland, um, limestone soils. And that is an absolute passion of mine. Scott brings in a couple of examples and it is just... What's it similar oh. to here? Is it a semi on top? thing or is it a what, what would be a white varietal 
that we would know here? You know, I'll go really basic and I'll say Chardonnay just for the okay. rich, just yep. for the richness, or possibly you know what, like an MRV sort of blend. Um, that if it's or, or Marsan, even, even Marsan, yeah, so Marsan, if it's picked, it's got this richness, but if it's picked at the right time, um, I guess Marsan ages very, very well, and you've got to get a pretty well made um, Garnacha Blanca to be able to age well because it does oxidize pretty easily. So, right, yeah, yeah, it's well, and, and also, like, I, I remember drinking some really beautiful aged white Riojas as well, made from, oh my God. Made from Vera, right. Or Macabeo is the synonym for that. Am mm -hmm. I correct there? Yep, yeah, that's right. Which is also one of the grapes they use in Carver, which we haven't mm. even touched on no. yet. But um, I do remember one of the greatest Spanish wines I've ever had, 1991 Avigna Tordona Blanco. And mm. it was just like, that felt like an aid semillon to me. It had that sort of lanolin and, the, mm -hmm. you know, the kind of almost honeyed rich beeswax and just, but the the freshness, as you say, the acid, the acid line just... Yeah cutting straight through it, which mm. is what reminded me of Simeon. And they're just some of the best wines I've ever had. Yeah. Mm. I, uh, my parents were over in Spain and I organised a couple of winery visits for them and said, well, there's this one winery and I need you to, yeah, get me a bottle of their aged uh, white Rioja because it's just mind-blowing, voluminous, textural. There is oak there, but there's, there's just some magic in those wines. It's incredible. Um, mm. And what about Carver? Like, because I drank a lot of Carver mm. over there. and I, I mean, we all tend to want to drink something else over here. Oh, I hate you, Prosecco. Prosecco jump off a bridge. I didn't want to say the P word because we had Melissa, the Prosecco queen, on last week. Hey, Mel, yeah. Hey, you did so well. I really enjoyed that. I'll yeah. come to your festival. Where's the Carver so, festival? Yeah, exactly. I'd, uh, look, okay. We have an Italianization of Australian food and drink. I, we owe so, so much to the Italians that migrated here. Um, and it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And part of that is the wine. You've got the first wave of varieties from France to come. They're the classic Aussie varieties. And then you've got the second wave, which is definitely more Italian. You've got all the King Valley sort of planters and, you know, many varieties that go very, very well here. Sangiovese, people are giving Nebbiolo a very big crack now. Mm. Um, and I think there's just, you know, we know how to pronounce Italian words, that kind of thing. And so Prosecco, we make great Prosecco. We can use the word over here. Um, and there are many, many examples uh, from, of course, north of Italy. And I think more than anything, you know, people know they're not meant to order a glass of champagne because either a waiter's told them, sorry, do you want sparkling Australian wine? Mm. Or would you like a glass of champagne? Or they've been served a glass of champagne that, you know, is $35 and had a very rude shock. So I think there's been a – Prosecco has stepped in there. And um, it's a beautiful word to say, Prosecco. But, like, Cava <laughs> – okay, but Cava is – Cava. Cava. Absolutely amazing. So it's from Penedes, which is about half an hour outside of Barcelona, another really fantastic place to go to visit some of these bigger wineries. Yeah. And so what to know about Cava? All of it to be called Cava is going to be – aged like champagne okay. and have go through the first and secondary fermentation. Time on lees is a big thing and the spectrum of flavours is very, very broad. Absolutely, but they can be such high-quality wines. And even if you pop into your Dan Murphy's and you see your Freshenet, it's the number one selling sparkling like carver in the world for a reason. Like it's Indeed actually, it is. And, you know, you know something so special about um, the Penedes region, which is where it's from. And, look, the classification, I won't get into it, of carver is a minefield and it's like... 
they're just there's a splinter groups and this and that mm. but something to know is that there is a huge amount of organic and biodynamic farming going on in Penedes. Ah, cool it is re- reasonably windy yep. it is dry pests are not much of a thing so you're going to be getting a lot of certified biodynamic and organic wines yeah carvers from the that region which is just you know so a bonus if we look at carver here in melbourne in australia are we just getting a do we get the you know the more um bulk versions of it or because presumably it's we certainly do so i mean we the top thing that i have in the store is segura viudas you know which is a nice wine it's got the yeah. cool bottle and everything but it's mainly the levels of fresh well, so freshener or freshenet freshenet yeah freshenet um that's something that's a bottle that really um everyone would know mm-hmm. you know it's, it's quite iconic stands out on the shelf yeah you know, the, it's a the black, black bottle thing, and, yeah um but so that's more your sort of base level, I guess, is it? Yeah, it's a, it's a then, step up from your yellow, I'd say. Yeah. But it's um, maybe, yeah, it's sort of... But it's not not anywhere near the complex, like the... Yeah, you know, I think I think we... The champagne level versions that you're talking about. Agreed. You'll be finding those, you know, Scott from Spanish Arc and a few other uh, importers bring in some really, really excellent examples. And I think they get snapped up mainly by restaurants. Mm. I don't think yeah. much of it yeah, ends right. up in a bottle shop. Um, Rathian sellers who have a particular Spanish bent, they might have a bit of Raventos um, and those sort of things. But, yep. yeah, there was one importer a few years ago that had some of the very top producers but, unfortunately, are no longer. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think there's an opening there but I think yeah. it's not. Well, well so we, yeah. later we're speaking with Andrea from Mavita. Mm-hmm. So, presumably, you go to Mavita, you can get a glass of that or a bottle of yeah. The, the better stuff. Yeah. Oh, and Movita is like, it's the place if you mm. want to explore top quality um, Spanish wine. It's yeah. Yeah, really excellent. Yeah. And such a f- fabulous way to eat too. Oh, it's really good. Tapas. You know, like yeah. small plates, all that stuff. Just oh, don't take yeah. a Spaniard there. Honestly, they'll have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Why? The, because of the, the, the prices, oh, particularly yeah, yeah. for the jamon, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And that's right. what you do in Spain. Eat as much jamon, go into these little shops yeah. and they will, you'll have an old dude working there, an old lady and they will have like seven different kinds of hamon. Treat yourself. Just tell them you want like three pieces of three different kinds. Take it. Make sure it's nice and warm when you eat it, and see the difference between these. And you know, Spain is such a beautifully hospitable place. Mm-hmm. Like it's really exceedingly casual and friendly. And so they're not going to turn their nose up at you if you are going to ask for you know. Oh, can I just try a few of the different ones? That they're going to be mm-hmm. really excited. Yeah. In general. They'll be pretty, yeah, in general, they'll be pretty proud. I, I was at, uh, at a tapas bar in, in La Grogna and I was being taken around by this very handsome woman who was in her oh. 60s and I think everyone thought that we were lovers or something and I probably didn't do anything to dispel that myth. And, you know, uh, just in terms of like, I just felt like a nice thing we were going. We went out at like 10.30. What was whatever. her name? I can't remember her name, but, um, <laughs> you know, but what I do recall, <laughs> what I do recall was... <laughs> Can we give her a name? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, what's a good Spanish name? Like Eva or Pili, Pilar. Pilar. Nice. Uh, uh, so I just noticed that <laughs> on, on a piece of stick, everyone was getting three bits of mushroom and a prawn, but we were getting four bits of mushroom Ooh. and two prawns. And I said to her, well, what's with this? Like, what's, and she took me outside and she pointed to a balcony up across the road and she said, that's where I was born. Oh. Like, she grew up across from this little tapas bar. And what blew my mind in La Gronia was like you went to one bar 
and then you had the one thing there and then you went to the next bar yeah. and you had one thing there and you start at like 10 o'clock mm. and 2 o'clock and you're out. It's just... So are you starting with sangria or what do you... No, I was just having um, whatever they said. No, well, oh, are you well, saying you... 10 p.m. or 10 a.m.? 10 p.m. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, that's when Sorry. you start. So yes, you are starting <laughs> well, with colour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, if you started at 10 a.m., you have to have your afternoon nap, I think, yeah, right. Simon, probably, <laughs> which they're they're reasonably famous for. But I mean, yeah, San Sebastian's a little more. So Pinchos from San Sebastian, mm-hmm. right? Tapas from Logroño. Yep, so pinchos are on a stick yep. uh-huh. and tapas are anything. So a tapa is like just something that you get free with a... Um, with a glass with, of wine, With right? a glass of wine. Oh, and right. particularly in the south, like some places, you know, in the cities are a little bit more fancy and you, you might be paying for certain bits and pieces. But really, a tapa is something that uh, is served for free, a little salty snack, maybe some bucarones, anchoas, olives, uh, yeah, finger food, easy to eat and keep you drinking because they're nice and salty. Yeah, happy days. Mm. Um, it sounds awesome. I mean, just we need to go there. But yeah. if we aren't going to travel till a bit later in the year, we need to uh, to come and find some Spanish wine and some food here. You certainly and, do. And get ahead around it. Oh, and um, also just give us a – you're doing a, a masterclass coming up at Winehouse soon, Beth. Is that I right? I am. Can you, well, I, have a, I have a little business I need to do on the other side of the desk uh, to try and get Scott from the Spanish Act on. So can you give us a little plug for that? Give us a, a couple of minutes about that. Of course. Well, um, it all started when I was in lockdown last year and I had a little bit of time on my hands. So I decided to uh, deepen my knowledge and understanding of Spanish wine by doing the International Wine Scholar Guild, their Spanish Wine Scholar course. Uh, So I did that and, yeah, continued my love, got a bit crazy about it. Um, And now that I have a bit more time on my hands uh, as far as being underemployed post Vinamofo life, I am teaming up with the guys uh, and girls down at Winehouse. So it's that little... So this is Winehouse in Southbank there on that little triangle... Kind of that old little spot with rare yeah. and um, rare and aged wine. So on the wines. corner of City Road and, and something South Bank Boulevard. Yeah, or something uh, Queensbridge like Street. Yeah, Queen, yep. yep. So just um, down from Crown Casino, um, great spot there. Jill, who um, runs a show, I'm in a ladies' tasting group with her, and she's a great friend. So we've always wanted to do something together. Yep. Uh, and now that I'm freelancing, the idea came up. Why don't I teach Spanish wine scholar there, which I will be doing later in the year if we can get enough people. So if you're really into Spanish wine. Think about that one, but in the how short. Do, how do people track that down? For instance, they will they get in touch with you or Winehouse? Oh, you know, at the other Bicknell, slide into my DMs on um, Instagram or with Winehouse. They've got a great um, education program there. Yeah, they do Wayset and everything there. They, they do. Yeah. They do Italian and French wine scholar also. So I would suggest either jumping on their database or just checking in on their website or their social yep. media. Um, and so this one is Friday. The is it the eighteenth? The nineteenth? What did we say? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's the 18th. Yeah, well, you, you did say a date, which was the 18th of March. Great. Yeah, so. yeah. It is Sunday morning. <laughs> so um, <laughs> and so it's a two-hour session, 6.30 to 8.30 that evening. And we're going to be looking at eight wines um, and approaching it like a wine list, going from Carva into some whites, into some reds, and then finishing with sherry. And really, every grape is from Spain all of the wines, mainly from the Spanish acquisition, really, really wonderful selection there. Mm. Um, And just a nice, informal, inclusive space to try things that you maybe haven't tried before and uh, get some conversation and education going on around that. So 
You said there's a there's a few tickets left. So yeah, I think there's maybe could, five. Yeah, grab yeah. a friend, grab a couple of friends. Take a date. I mean, yeah. honestly, I think that's the best first date that you could sort of be doing is like coming along to a Spanish wine tasting and, you know, mm. don't talk about Sit yourself. Talk and, about the wine. <laughs> Come yeah. on. Well, and but learn together, you know. Exactly. And also, like, if you're, like, on that first, like, date and, like, they can't handle eight wines and, like, uh, lots of chat about wine, maybe they're the wrong person. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe you should have Is taken it, him out for a glass of Prosecco. <laughs> <laughs> what a dick. That's uh, me. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, um, <laughs> we, uh, we're going to shortly have a chat with Scott Wosley yeah. uh, from Spanish Acquisition. Do you want to hang around? Uh, look, I would love to, and I promise uh, I will not talk over Scott because, no. yeah, I don't think that's actually possible. <laughs> but, uh, no, that'll be cool. Uh, 